Weirdo, what's your superpower, and how will you use it to change the world? Welcome back to Just Us Weirdos, a podcast about learning to be heroic, no matter how weird your power might be. I'm Charlie White, and I'm so glad to be presenting a special episode to you today. But before we get into the secret origins of the ninja, I want to remind you about the contest we have going. You can win a free Just Us Weirdos t-shirt by tagging us on social media with the hashtag WeirdoPower. We don't have very many entries so far, so your chances of winning are very high. We will be selecting one submission during our season finale, which is in two weeks. So make sure to send us a message on Facebook or Twitter at Just Us Weirdos, or Instagram at Just Us Weirdos Podcast, with the hashtag WeirdoPower. In the meantime, get comfortable, think of something weird, and put a smile on your face. It's time for issue number 16 of Just Us Weirdos. The Secret Origins of Beninja. 1918, Japan. Kuramoto Hiro, Kirby's great-great-grandfather, dutifully runs his family's steel forge. He has only one daughter, Yuko, and he teaches her everything he knows about steel and business and life. Yuko imagines a new life, however. She is drawn to the idea of America. When she is a young woman and hears that Americans are building Quadropolis, the city of tomorrow, she knows that steel will be an important part of the story of Quadropolis. She leaves Japan for America and starts a new successful business. She names it Kuramoto Steel in honor of her family in Japan. And indeed, she runs her business as a family She is a good leader, and her employees love her dearly. Yuko also starts a family of her own. She has a son who she names Genesis. She plans to pass the family business to her son. But as he grows, it is clear that he has his own passions. Genesis moves across the country to Fallsport, where he begins his own business called Jodande Enterprises. His business? Buying and selling other companies, not because he's interested in them, but because it helps him make money very quickly. Like his mother, he loves a fresh start, and he's a savvy business person. Unlike his mother, he does not run his business like a family. Genesis also starts a family, and he shows almost as little interest in them as he does the businesses he buys. His daughter, Andrea, excels in school, but when she turns 18, she decides to travel the world instead of going to college. Genesis Kuramoto is very angry about this, but he's too focused on his business to do much about it. Indeed, Genesis' business is doing quite well. Jordande Enterprises operates by buying a company, firing almost everyone, and replacing their employees with its own. The most recent business it has acquired in this matter is a construction company in Quadropolis. In fact, it's his mother's company, Kuramoto Steel. Doing what he does so well, Genesis fires all the employees, including his own mother. 
He replaces them, transforming Kuramoto Steel from a place where every employee was treated like family into an efficient, lean, and aggressive corporation. Yuko isn't angry with herself. Instead, she feels sad, but she realizes he is doing something very similar to what she had done. Instead of staying in one place to run a family business, Genesis left behind his home, family, and life to start something new. She had done the same thing when she left Japan for America. Meanwhile, Genesis Kuramoto's daughter, Andrea, has decided that America is not the right home for her. Indeed, she has decided that she is not the kind of person who even has a home. She shows no interest in the family business, and instead travels the world on an old Kuramoto steel ship. Andrea hungers for new experiences and never stays in one place long. While her father is busy growing Giordante into one of the largest companies in the world, Andrea sails the seas. Her latest obsession? Rare food. She has a podcast about it. Andrea Kuramoto spends her time researching food that is unusual or unusually prepared. And when she finds something, she travels there and makes a show about the preparation and history of the food. Naturally, she also eats the food and talks about it on her show. On one of her voyages, Andrea falls in love and gets pregnant. But this does not stop her adventures. When she is five months pregnant, she learns something that gets stuck in her head like a pop song. Apparently, every single banana in the world has naturally occurring radiation. It's true. Scientists call it the banana equivalent dose. But there is a legend. In Brazil, they speak of the banana brilhante, the most radioactive banana in the world. Andrea travels to Brazil to do an episode about the banana brilhante. Most people haven't heard of it, and the ones who have say it's just a myth. But Andrea pushes obsessively, and her research leads her to a group of people who live in the rainforest and worship nature, and are said to have a deep knowledge of the banana brilhante. Andrea charters a boat and begins a quest sailing the Amazon, learning more about the people, customs, and especially their food. And when her adventures finally bring her to the nature worshippers deep in the heart of the rainforest, Andrea finds an old woman who guides her deep into the jungle, where the banana brilhante is said to grow. Andrea Kuramoto is proud that she can take an adventure like this when she is pregnant. Recording for her podcast, she talks about feeling the baby kick, even as she whacks through the jungle foliage with a machete. At last, the guide brings her to a tree that seems to glow with its own silvery light, the source of the banana brilhante. Andrea steps closer to the tree. Her doctor would have probably warned her not to do this. That is, if her doctor was inclined to believe in legends about mythical radioactive fruit. But she doesn't, so she didn't. Besides, the guide says that the tree protects the people and helps them give the world exactly what it needs. Overcome with curiosity, 
Andrea reaches up to pluck a glowing banana from the tree. Against the advice of her guide, she peels and eats the raw fruit, which is not yet ripe and very hard to swallow. As she leaves, Andrea Karamoto has a strange impulse. She has sunk tens of thousands of dollars into this trip and brought her whole crew on a dangerous trek in pursuit of the banana brillante. But somehow, she feels that its legend needs to remain a mystery. She does not say anything into her recorder about eating the banana and deletes all of the recording she has about spotting the tree. She returns to the village and tells her crew that she couldn't find the tree, and it's probably just a legend. Life goes on. Andrea Karamoto returns to Quadropolis to have her baby, who she names Kirby. Andrea doesn't want to stay in America. Her life of adventure calls. But she knows she can't take a baby on her travels. Her grandmother, Yuko, promises to treat Kirby as her own. And in her rare display of affection, her father, Genesis, promises that he will not spare any business resource to ensure the success of her child. Kirby grows up with his great-grandma Yuko's care and compassion, and she tells him stories of her mother's adventures and also his great-great-grandfather, Kuramoto Hiro. She embellishes these stories with details about Hiro making samurai swords at his steel company and being a crime fighter at night. When Kirby is only three, Genesis requires him to begin learning about how the Jodande Corporation works, giving Kirby a background in manufacturing, business, and robotics. But family history, stories, and business isn't the only thing Kirby's exposed to. You see, when he was negative 16 weeks old, the banana brillante that Kirby's mother ate exposed him to something else. The radiation reshaped his forming mind and body, making Kirby a quick learner and also granting him mastery over a certain boomerang-shaped fruit. Kirby hones this skill during those long, boring times when Grandpa Genesis forces him to meet with various bosses at Jodante. Even though they are annoyed about working with the three-year-old, the bosses are always polite to him. They really don't have much of a choice. Kirby, usually confined to a high chair so he won't toddle off into a robotics lab or something like that, amuses himself by pushing food off of his tray. He notices that whenever he pushes a banana peel, someone always slips on it. Always. One day, he throws a peel from his high chair across the room into the trash can, just out of curiosity. Minutes later, a roboticist who has been trying to teach him walks out of the room and accidentally steps right into the trash can, slipping as he does. The next day, Kirby tosses a banana peel under his own high chair. His tutor for the day drops her pen at one point, and when she squats down on the floor to pick it up, she puts a hand on the banana peel under his chair and slips. The abilities do not stop with appeals either. When he eats bananas, 
Kirby feels a strange power in himself, as if he is absorbing energy from the fruit itself. His body begins to give off a natural slipperiness, which he uses to his own great delight by slipping out of his high chair silently. He learns to use the banana power to move stealthily through a room, sneaking away from tutors and into the more dangerous and interesting parts of the Jodande Enterprise Laboratories. Kirby has a strange childhood and an unusual family. His mother cares for him in her own way, sending stories of her adventures around the world and asking him if he thinks they're interesting. His grandfather not only gives Kirby training, but also provides Kirby with access to some of the best materials, research, and laboratories in the world. And his great-grandmother gives him compassion and heroic stories of his ancestors in Japan, which may not be exactly true, but they're comforting nonetheless. As great-grandma Yuko ages, it becomes harder for her to take care of Kirby. Yuko asks her son Genesis to care for him, and Genesis Kuramoto promises to do so. He fulfills this promise by having his team design a new robot caregiver. This combines the latest in artificial intelligence with an advanced ability to simulate human emotion. To train the robot's emotional core, Genesis sends it to Yuko, who, at this point, has grown too old to know whether she is talking to the robot or Kirby. All day and night, Yuko tells the robot stories of her father, Kuramoto Hiro, and of her son Genesis and granddaughter Andrea. The tales are unusual, heroic, and not always true, but they all have a seed of the Kuramoto family legacy creativity, adventure, and independence. By the time Kirby Kuramoto is 10, great-grandma Yuko has become quite sick, and grandfather Genesis tells Kirby he expects that she will not live for very much longer. Kirby visits Yuko in the hospital, and she continues to tell him stories. She is very tired, and it is difficult for her to talk, and Kirby hugs her, and tells her to save her strength. Yuko reaches out and grips Kirby's hand. But if I cannot use my strength to help you, she says, then what good is it? She continues holding tightly and closes her eyes. The stories I tell you about Kuramoto Hiro, your great-great-grandfather, I know you do not believe them. I don't remember what is fact and fiction myself anymore. But I can tell you this, Kirby Karamoto. Our family was meant to have a hero in it. We Karamotos all spend so much time running from what this family name has tried to give us. Do not run away, Kirby. Embrace everything you have, everything you are, and everything you can do. And change the world. She lets go of his arm and doesn't say any more. Kirby thinks she may have fallen asleep and begins to quietly leave the room. Kirby. Her voice stops him at the door. He turns to look, and she is intently staring at him. You have lessons from our whole family, and you have the unique skills you possess. But you need one more secret 
to be a hero, and I will give that secret to you if you only ask. Tell me, Baba, Kirby says to his great-grandma. Remember these words. Authorization, Kuramoto, 746 Sigma Silver. Thank you, dear listener. We are eight-ninths of the way through season one. Isn't that an exciting fraction? You can find us online at justusweirdos.com, where you can subscribe to the podcast and interact with us. You can also email us at hero at justusweirdos.com. Don't forget to interact with us on social media. Send a message to at justusweirdos with the hashtag weirdopower. Thanks, as always, to Joe Carnwath, who wrote, performed, and produced our original theme music. Check out Joe's music online at joecarnwath.com or find him on Spotify. Thanks also to Love Hustler, who performed the song you're listening to right now called Cinderella. Thanks for listening, and remember, be kind, be creative, and most of all, be weird. See you next week, weirdos.